Hey y'all, I'm your host, Rita, and you're listening to The Backpacking Introvert, a podcast where I unpack the mind, connect with my love of nature, and write outside the lines. Thank you for tuning in today. Out of all the podcasts, you chose mine, and I'm glad you're here. Before we get started on today's podcast episode, I have a little bit of information I need to share with you. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions or concerns you may have regarding any mental health issues. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking mental health care from a licensed professional in your area because of something you may have heard from my podcast. I speak only from my personal experiences, knowledge, and education, and not as a licensed therapist. This podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. With that said, let's get started. Hey y'all, I'm back with another episode from the Backpacking Introvert. I know it's been a minute since I've last put out an episode. Um, I know last month I was supposed to put one out and I didn't, so I apologize for that. But I'm back and I'm here to talk about ADHD. So I've alluded to this in the past. Uh, if you've heard me speak about it on my Instagram page, if you're following me, um, you'll have noticed that I've alluded to it. If you have, then you have already seen, I already dropped this information. <clears throat> and that's that I've have, I have been diagnosed with ADHD. So my ADHD is considered adult ADHD. I may have had it for many years before, but it wasn't just until this past summer that I was recently diagnosed with ADHD. The only reason I sought to be evaluated was because I was noticing that it was affecting my daily life. I was not able to concentrate to do any of my work. I was not turning in my work, my documentation, and my case notes in on time. It was just really wreaking havoc in my daily life. Because of this, I decided one night to get myself evaluated. There's a website that I actually use where it's an asynchronous diagnosis, which some people may not be fond of or have their opinions about, but it worked for me. And it's really comprehensive. And I, I promise you this is not a commercial for them. Anyway, it's a long assessment that you have to answer tons of questions. There are parts we have to type in your answers. So the more you type and the more information that you give, the better for your diagnosis. After submitting my information, the psychologist reviewed the information I provided. And based upon that information, I received the diagnosis of ADHD inattentive. Now, I know there's a lot of information out there about ADHD these days, and it's a very commonly um, known diagnosis. And typically, it's known for children, like you get that in children. So when people say here that you have adult ADHD, it kind of throws people off. So anyway, there are some things I do want to clear up. So for those of you who don't have anybody who's directly affected by it and only heard about it because it's such a well-known diagnosis, well, I want to tell you that before years ago, I want to say maybe 20 years ago, I could be wrong on the timeline, so don't quote me on it. 
However, many years ago, it wasn't called ADHD inattentive and hyperactive, or rather, it can be or and or. So it was called ADD, um, attention deficit disorder, or it was called attention deficit hyperactive disorder. Well, with the research, research excuse me, that has been done now over the years, they have changed the diagnosis. Now it is classified under in the, in the DSM-5 as ADHD only. However, there are two different criterions. So there is ADHD, like I mentioned, um, inattentive, and there's ADHD hyperactive. Now you can have both, or there's also individuals that just have one, and I fall into that category. I'm not hyperactive. I am inattentive. So mine is ADHD inattentive. What that means for me is that I struggle with concentration. And of course, there's some things that I do do, like I do fidget. So fidget toys are really helpful for me. They help me to concentrate or when I'm getting bored or tired or just overstimulated, it helps a lot. And mind you, sometimes I don't have fidget toys on me. So um, I'll fidget with my fingers or do some other things to fidget, but I'm still listening it doesn't mean that I'm not listening. So there's a lot of information that I want to be able to give you in this podcast episode because there are some things that we don't know that is not out there very openly unless you do the research. So I did some reading from this uh, doctor named Dr. Uma Naidu. And if you've been, again, if you've been following me on my Instagram page, you'll know that I've read this book. Um, in her book, it talks about how food affects your mental health. So let me tell you first, though, that she is a nutritional psychologist. So she has the wherewithal to give diagnosis, and she has extensive background and knowledge because she both went to culinary school and did residency at the same time, which is highly commendable. I'm just giving you a little bit of background information about Dr. Naidu, and I think that's important because um, knowing her credentials lets you know that this is a, a credible source. Um, in the time that she was going to uh, residency, she also had cancer during that time. So she used some of what she learned in her studies to help her through her battle of cancer. She mentions in the book that because of what she knew about how food affects the body and, the men and mental health, that she was able to use recipes to eliminate or decrease symptoms that normally cancer patients experience while undergoing chemo. Anyway, I can give you her information for IG if you want to look more into her because I think she's wonderful and I love the work that she's doing. Her handle for Instagram is Dr. Uma Naidu. So I'm going to spell it for you. It's Dr. U-M-A-N-A-I-G-O-O. And I like that she's a nutritional psychologist. She has her nutritional psychiatry degree from Harvard. And the book that she wrote is this is your brain on food. So she talks about how the gut affects your mental health. The reason I mentioned Dr. Naidu is because I believe in holistic health. And in reading her book, I was able to find out that the gut affects those individuals who have been diagnosed with ADHD. However, your gut affects mental health issues, other mental health issues as well. I'm just going to specifically speak on ADHD though. So it's important to mention that 
ADHD is not a common, uh, commonly a common condition that is diagnosed uh, for women, and really technically, because women are underdiagnosed, it stems back to when women were, you know, children, and that is um, where it starts because girls are also commonly underdiagnosed, so it stems from that. Um, which is why a lot of times women are more often diagnosed later in life. Many times because little girls are underdiagnosed, that ends up, what ends up happening is that they end up having to compensate for the symptoms they are presenting. However, are not as noticeable as in boys, I guess. Typically we call this masking. Masking is something that is not just for those individuals who have ADHD. However, it's commonly known with those who are on the spectrum or have some other diagnosis that would be considered not neurotypical. So those individuals who have ADHD are not considered neurotypical. They would be considered neurodivergent. What that means is that someone who's neurotypical processes things at a normal quote unquote way, as opposed to someone who's neurodivergent processes things differently. Being neurodivergent for me means that I process information differently than someone who is neurotypical in the sense that I may need things to be broken down for me more depending on the content. Dr. Naidu describes individuals who have ADHD as having the connections between different brain regions disrupted specifically between the prefrontal cortex, which is the thinking brain, the, the thinking part of your brain, and the stradium, which is the part of the brain that deals with reward behaviors. So according to Dr. Naidu, your brain chemistry is affected, particularly um, your levels of dopamine, the brain's reward chemical, and noradrenaline, a fight or flight hormone. Now, there are medications such as stimulants that can help with this. However, medication is not the only and end-all, be-all answer. Personally, in my opinion, especially after reading Dr. Naidu's book, I feel that incorporating a healthy, balanced diet along with exercise is a great way to manage symptoms of ADHD. Mind you, this is just my personal opinion backed with a little bit of science. The reason I say a little bit of science is because before my symptoms were not as noticeable as they had been in the past year, almost because I was highly active in incorporating lots of exercise and eating a relatively healthy, balanced diet and thus good mental health overall. Additionally, because I led this healthy lifestyle, my symptoms were manageable. While I may have suspected that I had the diagnosis of ADHD because I was exercising and managing my mental health as well as eating relatively healthy, my symptoms were not as noticeable as someone who is not leading a healthy lifestyle. When the pandemic happened, all that changed for me. And the, by all means, I may not, um, I'm not trying to say that I'm be judgy by saying not leading a healthy lifestyle. I mean, everybody leads a lifestyle that they're able to, because as I, my previous podcast episode, not always is a healthy lifestyle accessible when you're in a different socioeconomic status. So there are different considerations and nuances with that. So anyway, as I was saying, when the pandemic happened, all that changed for me. The underlying symptoms that were not as noticeable slowly in time with a decrease of physical activity and decline in healthy eating habits, all those symptoms suddenly became noticeable. 
Science does back up that with any mental health issues, a healthy lifestyle decreases mental health issues or symptoms. The irony behind this diagnosis is that while deficit is in the name, um, or in the diagnosis too, the reality is that those who have this quote unquote disorder tend to have a range of hyper focus. When managed correctly, ADHD could be looked as a gift. With individuals that have ADHD, the brain is more stimulated when there is a challenge presented. For example, for me, when there is an upcoming deadline, I tend to get my work done better. It can be exacerbating in a sense which I don't like, but sometimes it's often difficult for me to be motivated to do different things, especially those things that are mentally daunting for me. So it's a double-edged sword there. Like it causes a lot of stress on me, but it also pushes me to get the work done. Now I have done things to manage that a bit better that are more healthy for me. And so far it's been working. Um, anyway, so anyway, because of this, it's no surprise to find the comorbidity of ADHD often is anxiety and or depression. Now, that doesn't mean that someone with who has ADHD automatically has anxiety and depression, but what it does mean is that oftentimes those individuals may also be diagnosed with those mental health issues. What I've come to find also in reading Dr. Nadu's book is that gluten and dairy have an effect on individuals who have ADHD. According to Dr. Nadu, dairy and gluten can exacerbate the symptoms of ADHD. This makes sense to me because when I was at my healthiest, I had removed any bread products, including fried foods, from my eating habits. Having reintroduced them into my eating habits, I can see the difference. Now, I also made adjustments in reducing my intake of dairy minus cheese because uh, that's my weakness. So I'm not sure what difference there is there since I really don't drink cow's milk. Um, I, I stopped drinking cow's milk when I was trying to eat healthier. But I still consume dairies, and I did in the past, in other ways. However, I'm not sure I would say it is a daily consumption. In my research, I also found that those with ADHD may have issues with executive function. So many of you may be asking what that means. So I'm going to tell you. Executive function allows you to analyze, organize, make decisions, and execute a task. Some individuals may be diagnosed with executive function disorder. Having the dis this disorder causes issues with being able to analyze, organize, make decisions, and complete tasks. So individuals who may experience issues with executive function may find themselves having difficulty organizing information before storing it. That goes back to what I said earlier about those with ADHD processing information differently. Additionally, they may find themselves knowing the content of material, but unable to organize their thoughts on the topic. According to Dr. Richard Barkley from Attitude Online Magazine, executive functioning and the ADHD brain affects the way an individual is able to memorize things. They have difficulty with time management. Yeah, I'm raising my hand here, me. <laughs> difficulty with emotional self-regulation. Sometimes I do have difficulty with emotional self-regulation and difficulty with self-awareness. Now that one, self-awareness, I think I have a pretty good self-awareness about myself. Um, maybe here and there, there's some cracks. I don't know. Anyway, moving on. So Dr. Barkley explains that we all have seven executive functions and each are developed sequentially. 
These functions are self-awareness, which I just talked about, inhibition, aka self-restraint, nonverbal working memory, which is the ability to hold things in your mind visually, verbal working memory, or internal speech. That's, you know, what this, the, the, what's, I don't want to say the voices in your head, <laughs> but, you know, the things that you say to yourself. Um, emotional self-regulation, which is the ability to use the previous aforementioned functions and use them to regulate your emotional state. Self-motivation, which is the ability to motivate yourself to complete a task without an external reward. And lastly, planning and problem solving, which is the ability to play with information in our minds to come up with a new way of completing them. So problem solving can be difficult for some individuals that have ADHD. Um, me personally, I feel like I'm pretty good at problem solving and being in the mental health field, you have to learn how to problem solve and be good at problem solving because you are faced with problems that others are coming to you with. And so you're having to find solutions or, or rather help them come up with solutions. So I know this is a lot of information, information, sorry, to absorb and can be a little bit overwhelming. I am also aware there are tons of resources out there for you to access. At the end of this podcast, I'll give you a couple of those sources that I personally use. I will say that I am still learning a lot about ADHD and how to manage it for myself. So by all means, I am no expert. I really just wanted to provide some education about ADHD, especially for those who are women and are adults, because ADHD is a lot more subtle in women than it is in men. And it is a cause of a lot of women being misdiagnosed or not considered to be ADHD until later in life. Additionally, because women are very much different than men, there are some hormonal considerations as well. From the research that I was able to find, there was a small 2017 study that found that inattention can increase at the ovulation phase of the menstrual cycle. This is news for me too. <laughs> Additionally, changes in estrogen levels across your menstrual cycle can increase ADHD symptoms, especially for women with ADHD who may experience more impulsivity. This is also news for me. Research has also found that women experience a lower self-esteem than those of the opposite sex who have ADHD well into their adulthood. So how many of you out there who are have been formally diagnosed with ADHD can relate to this? Or maybe you have a suspicion that you have ADHD and you have not yet been diagnosed. If anything of this resonates with you, I would consider getting evaluated. That's just my opinion. You don't have to do it if you don't want to, if it's scary, because it can be scary, because it almost feels like something's wrong with me. <laughs> and nobody wants to feel like there's, you know, admit, oh, there's something wrong with me. But at the same time, it gives you lots of answers. Because I know for me, um, it was hard. And I'll talk about that in just a second. Anyway, moving on to what I was talking about. So I talked about how research um, shows that there's women that have lower uh, self-esteem. And there's also studies that have suggested that women and girls diagnosed with ADHD have a higher risk of experiencing symptoms of depression, anxiety, 
and eating disorders. I, I found that interesting in my research, um, this was the most interesting, was reading how borderline personality disorder is more likely to be reported among women previously or concurrently diagnosed with ADHD, hyperactive, impulsive, which is a combination of ADHD, is the combination of ADHD. So going back to the beginning of what I mentioned earlier, you can be diagnosed with either or, or combination, which is both inattentive and hyperactive. And typically those who are hyperactive are more impulsive. For me personally, as someone who is diagnosed, who has been diagnosed later in life, I'm having to do the research to be able to better understand myself and accept that these traits that are part of ADHD are part of who I am. This has been the hard part for me. In all transparency, initially when I was diagnosed with ADHD, it was really hard for me to process and accept to the point where I didn't want to tell people. So for me to open up and be vulnerable and share this with everybody who's listening to me is a big deal. And I am more open with it with those who are close to me or I interact with. Um, it's, it's my way of being comfortable with it and accepting it. So everybody has their way of processing it. This is just mine. Um, anyway, so I've been learning to embrace my diagnosis as I've just mentioned, and find the gifts that it gives me among the chaos of the things that impedes me or delays me from doing or accomplishing. I understand myself better now, and I understand now why things um, happened in the past that were difficult for me. And I'm also discovering for the first time that I have social anxiety, and perhaps I've always had it, but have been able to mask it. I've also learned that sensory overstimulation is a real thing for me. I never knew it had a name and I never knew why I reacted to certain sounds in certain ways, but now I do. It's also enabled me to understand my son better and relate with him in ways that I couldn't before since he too has ADHD. His ADHD diagnosis is a bit different than mine. So and I don't want to go into his diagnosis because that's his story to tell. And he's only a teenager, so I don't want to put all his information out there. But I will say that dealing with his ADHD and mine as a parent and child is sometimes difficult. And so it can be cumbersome because he may have tics that help him with his ADHD, yet cause me sensory overstimulation. So it's like a back and forth. It's really hard to weave that. Like I have to say, to him, you know, hey, you know, that's sensory overload for me. Um, but then it also makes him have to mask, which is hard. So it's like, uh, it's hard. It's really hard to manage, you know, as a parent who has a child with an e equally same diagnosis almost, because again, his is different. But because I do have ADHD, I'm able to understand why he does what he does better and additionally better advocate for him in his school environment, as well as educate him on how best to handle his ADHD. I think one of the more important factors is being able to normalize the behaviors that go along with having ADHD. Normalizing these behaviors is important 
because many times, because we are neurodivergent individuals, we can think that we're not normal due to the societal standards of how we're supposed to behave or interact with others. Therefore, normalizing those behaviors has been crucial in boosting my son's self-esteem as well as my own. Oftentimes, using humor helps with this. The most important thing is remembering that we are not defined by ADHD. We are not ADHD. We have ADHD symptoms. More research has been done about ADHD, and there is even a debate about changing the name of it to something else in more recent articles that I've encountered. There is an argument that ADHD should not be considered a disorder, most especially because, as I've mentioned before, there are gifts to having ADHD in the sense of being able to be hyper-focused in certain areas. So how is it a disorder when you're able to function in certain areas very well, and in other areas, you're just not able to function as well? It doesn't mean you can't function at all. In a recent Attitude Online magazine, which I will admit is one of my greatest resources, and I love what they give out, in this um, recent article that I discovered, it has been argued that ADHD is not a deficit disorder. The reason that this is up for a debate is because the argument is that ADHD is being placed in the realm of pathology or a disease, when the reality is those with ADHD do not have a disease, nor do they have a deficit in attention, but rather an abundance of attention. The difficulty lies in controlling that attention. So it's not a deficit. It's controlling that attention, basically being able to put it into a box. That would be great if we could be able to concentrate in that way. But that's just not how our brains function. And it's hard for those who are neurotypical to understand that. <laughs> so in this article, it states that a more adequate description or descriptive term for ADHD is a variable, atten is variable attention stimulus trait. This name would allow it to be dematerialized and focus instead on the benefits of having an ADHD brain. So the acronym would be VAST. Again, that's Variable Attention Stimulus Trait. It really does reframe ADHD in a very positive way, rather than naming it a deficit or disorder, because it really isn't either of those. So when I read this article, I agreed a lot with what it was saying, because it takes away, again, the negative connotation behind what it means to be or rather have ADHD. Additionally, it redefines ADHD in a whole different way. It reframes it. So if you want more information about this article, search Attitude Magazine online for ADHD needs a better name. In summary, ADHD is a lot more than a disorder and learning more about what it is and what it is not, it's important to understanding it. And if you have ADHD, it's important to understand who you are as an individual with ADHD. If you don't have ADHD, it's important to understand those around you who do have it and to normalize those behaviors that accompany those experiencing ADHD. For me personally, resources that I like to use are social media pages that shed light on ADHD and neurodivergence, as well as using Attitude Magazine Online, which has so many good articles free trainings for clinicians, clients, and parents alike, as well as researching peer-reviewed articles that provide data to back up the science behind ADHD. It's really important to be more inclusive to those who are neurodivergent. 
we may come off as quirky, even overshare, perhaps talk too much, have certain quirks or ticks, or forget where we place our cell phone, even, <laughs> even when it's in our own hand. But all these things make us unique. And without the uniqueness, we'd be in a boring world. Don't you agree? Again, I know this is a lot of information, and I try to pack it all in this less than 30 minutes podcast. But I hope it was useful for you. I hope it was informative. I hope it gives you a better understanding of those who experience ADHD and uh, have the symptomology of it. And that is not a pathological, um, how do I put this? It's not pathological, period. It's it's not meant to be looked as um, a problem to be fixed, but rather something to live with. And that's the best way I can put it, because it is who I am. And it is who other neurodivergent people are as well, whatever makes them neurodivergent. So let's be a little kinder to those who are neurodivergent and let us understand them a little bit better, right? I know I'm still working on understanding it a lot better myself. And being a parent of a child who has ADHD is a whole different level because his ADHD isn't my ADHD. So there's that too. Well, if you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please let me know on my Instagram page. Give me a um, follow on Spotify if you're on Spotify or on Apple to let me know that you enjoy my um, podcast. Uh, you can even write a review on Apple Podcast if you are listening from there. And I just really would love to hear your feedback. Anyway, that's all for now. I'll hear from you next time. Bye. Thank you for tuning in today. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I've enjoyed speaking to you. Make sure that you're following my Instagram page to stay up to date for the next episode. That's all for today. And you are listening to The Backpacking Introvert. Until next time.